Well, we're talking again about the incarnate in Christ. We've got about another three or four sermons on this whole topic for the year, and then we'll be starting on another different uh, approach to our preaching. But today we want to talk about the spiritual power that God gives us through having faith versus unbelief. Spiritual power that comes through faith rather than unbelief. And I think uh, what uh, Noel was talking about today about our society becoming more and more evil is a little bit like my fish tank. Life is like a fish tank. If you came to my house today and you looked at my fish tank today, you'd see that my fish tank is full of crayfish and it's uh, had um, um, potatoes in it for the crayfish to eat and um, it's kind of messy. All the stuff is growing on the front of the glass and it's kind of really dirty. Life's like that, you know. Sometimes when you get it, you get a nice clean fish tank like this one here and it's, it looks really good. But after a period of time, the gun starts to build up. Why? Well, well, there's no fresh water going in and no water going out, dirty water going out. It's just the same old water and, and uh, they're pooping in it and they're doing everything else in it. You're throwing food in it and uh, every day you throw more food in it and they put more in it and uh, it's going through the filters, but the filters can only do so much. And after a little bit of time, it gets kind of dirty in there. But you know what? The fish don't even know. The fish don't know that it's dirty in there. They swim around and they just suck on the side of the glass like it's just normal. They just think everything is normal. They don't actually know or feel the condition of the water. It's like you. you, you you're not aware of the condition of your life sometimes. It just, it's just there. It's happening around you. And, and it can get progressively worse and worse And you're not aware that it's getting progressively worse and worse. It's just cooling down from its hot ardor. And so you get uh, Noel up here and he starts saying, Oh, we've got to get bold and fight! And all of a sudden you sort of think, Oh, that's a little bit different to the way I actually talk, you know. Once upon a time you might have had some fire in your bones like that. But, you know, that's sort of gone down cool now. And you've sort of cooled off a little bit. So your fish tank effect is sort of like the dirt in the fish tank sort of built up around you a little bit more, you know. And that's what life is like in our 20th century. That's what life is like in the postmodern world in which we live. It, all the values that we held as being sac- sacred when we were young, as young men and young women, you know, um, in the 1950s, things were different to what they are now in 2015. Terrible. Oh, by, by the way, before we go any further, you, is this your last Sunday here or are you here next Sunday, Dan? You're, this is your last Sunday here. Can you come here to me, please? We hope that Nathan Rash was going to be here today because we wanted to send these boys out. They're going into a very dangerous place next week. You're going to go out at schoolies, aren't you? And when Jesus actually called us, he called us to dangerous walk, a dangerous walk, a day to dangerous places. He says, uh, you are going to be like sheep going in amongst wolves, lambs going in amongst wolves, um, Tell me what defense a lamb has against a pack of wolves. Uh, the shepherd, if he's there, you know, but he's there inside of him. But, you know, generally speaking, if you're going to walk in amongst some wolves, the wolves are going to eat you. Are you willing to die for your faith, young man? Yeah. I mean, that's the point of the exercise. You know, the exercise is really about whatever it takes to bring Jesus to people who are lost, even if it costs my own life. I'm willing to do that for Jesus because he loved me so much. So the issues with regard to going out and being an evangelist or going out on the street, it's not just about you know having some party time or good party time while the others are having bad party time. There's a risk involved here. The devil wants to destroy these young men who are going out. I want you to understand that, that they're going out into a place that's full of immorality where the women that are around them, the girls that are around them, are going to be trying to lure them into it. I mean, the devil actually knows his weaknesses, knows his weakness more than you and I know his weakness, and he'll set him up. He might be there to preach the good news, but the devil wants him to take him out. He's going like a sheep or a lamb amongst wolves. And we need to pray for our young men. You know, they they are not like they're weak. We believe that they're strong, but they need our prayer. And so we're going to pray right now for for uh, Dan and we're going to actually pray for Nathan who's not here being distracted at this point of time of his life but we'll pray that God will actually bring the conviction of God upon his life and that when they go they will feel the leading 
and the purpose of God and have the confidence of God that he's put them there for this particular time in their life and they'll bring the word to bear on those who need to hear and that souls will be saved, not just decisions made, but souls would be saved and their lives would be changed till Jesus comes back. Amen? Father, we just thank you for this young man that he has given his life, Lord Jesus, to follow you. Lord, we thank you for Nathan Rash, Father, as well. They're going to go to the schoolies week, Father, and we pray, oh God, that your mantle of blessing rest upon them, Father. Lord, that your word would be rich on their lips, Father, that their lives would be uh, reflective of the glory and the holiness of Jesus, Father. And Lord, that their words would be like, uh, like uh, knives piercing into darkness, Father, and cutting, Lord Jesus, the chains of lives off, Father, and releasing people from bondage, Father, and setting captives free, Father. Lord, they need to know you're leading them, Father. They need to know that you have called them to this place for such a time as this. They need to have that confidence, Lord God. So I pray that you would bear witness with their spirits, Lord Jesus, that you have called them to this time for such a time as this, Father, and that you are with them, Father, and that you're there, Lord Jesus, to make a difference in the lives of many, many young broken people, Father. Lord, save souls, we pray. Open ministry doors, we pray. Loose the captive, Lord Jesus. Set them free, Lord Jesus, by your blood. Lord, arrange appointments, Father. Arrange encounters, Father. Arrange opportunities, Father, for these men and women who are going there, Father, that they would see your grace and your miracles working in their lives. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Oh, the fish is still swimming. All right, now listen. Let's read this passage of Scripture. It says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? This voice or this verse speaks to us about the condition of our heart or our perception. The way we see life, the way we perceive life to be, the way we think life is about. He says, if you think that the light inside of you is light and it's really dark, and you're going along through life thinking you've got light shining out of you, but the light that's shining out of you is darkness, he says, how dark is the dark, he said, you know. So Jesus is calling us to have a, a, a look at what's going on in our culture and our beliefs. Your own personal culture is the culture in which you grow up and, and live in. You create that culture in your life. You create that in your own home. You create the way that you live in your own home and the sort of thing that goes on in your own home. If your culture in your house is you know, one that is partially worldly and partially spiritual, then that's the culture in which you grow up. If your culture in your home is, is focused on God and it's given to God and, it's, and, and you've taken all the worldly stuff out of there, then that's the, that's the, the, the culture of your household. You determine the culture of your life. You determine what's going on in your life. You determine whether the water is clean or whether the water is dirty. But generally speaking, if you don't pay attention to it, what happens is the culture develops around you. And because of the increase of wickedness, the Bible tells us, the love of most will grow cold. So there's something going to happen in the fish tank of your life that's going to increase wickedness. And you're not going to be aware of that. If I sat down and started talking to you about what happened 200 years ago with my grandfather when he was a boy and how he used to get from place to place, I'd say he climbed on the back of a wagon and he would go with a horse pulling it. I'd say it's a little bit different now. My grandson can climb on a jet and go around the world in half the time. You see, that's life and that's culture and it's shifting and it's changing. Everything is moving, everything is fluxing, everything is changing. And if you are not looking at it and saying there is change going on in my life, is the change for good or for bad, you probably think that you got the right way inside because you haven't even paid attention to what actually is going on inside and it may be wrong. And you end up holding a flag and waving a flag it ends up to be nothing looking like the flag that Jesus used to wave. That's why reading the Word of God is really good for us because when you get to the Word of God, you can test your life. You can test to see that Christ is in you. You can examine yourself and ask yourself, well, what's going on in my life? Is the condition of the water of my life become filthy now? Do I need the cleansing flow of Jesus' Holy Spirit and the conviction of His Holy Spirit to change things in my life so that I can move forward? Or am I just happy living in this apathy? 
Am I happy living in a place that is lethargic? Am I happy living in a place where I, I seem to have lost some dynamic in my life and I'm just going to stay here and, and live this way? God wants us to think about what's going on. And if you look at uh, this passage of Scripture, it talks about Jesus' town, hometown. It says, Now he could not do mighty works, no, no mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and they were healed. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages and the circuit teaching. He went outside. So he, when, he, when Jesus went home to his hometown, he started walking around and started to pray and to teach. Now, in other places, he was doing some mighty works. You know, they would see dead people raised. They would do some amazing things. But when he went, went home to where his folks lived and where his brothers and sisters lived, you know, he couldn't do much because the condition of the water in the culture of his own home belittled him and put him in a box where it didn't believe who he said he was. Who, who is this guy isn't he the, the eldest brother of... And isn't his sisters here with us now? Well, who does he think he is, this guy? They had become familiar with him to the point of denying that he had any basis to give them any hope. The condition of the water had changed so much. You know, what had to take place for James, his brother, to be converted? And it was only after he died and rose again that James was converted. It was right until the, they didn't believe. If my brother was to say me, he was Jesus. If my brother was to tell me he was God in the flesh, I'd have major problems with that. If I was to tell my brother that I was God in the flesh, he would have major problems with that. You know, I watched him grow up. He watches me grow up. I'm, I'm just, you know, God. I don't think so. So the condition of our lives is altered somehow by the way we just live life and the, the perceptions we get. And unless we are changing our perceptions, our perceptions can get muddied very quickly. The glass of our lives can become dirty with handprints of sin very quickly. The condition of the water can become acidic very, very quickly in our lives. We become, can become bitter. We can have a root of bitterness that springs up within us that changes our perspective on people and takes away our hope that people could be loving and caring and kind. Bitterness can eat our hearts away and we can think that we're self-protective and so forth. There's a lot of stuff that can go on and that's why we have to look at the condition of our heart and faith makes you look at the condition of our heart. This situation with Jesus, he couldn't work. He couldn't work. It, didn't, it wasn't that he had the, didn't have the power. He just couldn't work because they just didn't believe. And that was the condition of their heart that was affecting them. So faith comes to us and there's three Three areas in which it comes to. Jesus, we're told in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. I'm not put that reference up there, but you can write it down. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we have are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set out before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So Jesus is the author and the finisher of the faith. Jesus gives you the faith, and he will finish the faith. He is where it comes from. Jesus is the one who's going to give you the ability to believe. We're told in, the, in Romans chapter 10, verse 70, he says, Now faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So if you wanted to have faith, it just doesn't come by nothing. It comes by an agent of hearing, your ear, the word of God, which is going to bring the, the promise of God. Now, Abraham was the great father of faith. We're told he lived in the Ur of Chaldees, that his mother was, a, or father was a, an Amorite, and his mother a Hittite, or something like that. I, I'm not sure, but he definitely wasn't a Jew because he was the father of the Jews. There was no Jews around when, they, when Abraham was first called. But God spoke to him, and Abraham heard the word of God. God spoke to him and said, this is, I want you to leave where you are and I want you to go to this place. This is what I'm promising you. I'm going to, give you, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. I'm going to give you an offspring and this is what it's going to be. Now look, when God speaks to you and you get a word from God, you've got something on which you can put your feet. You've got something on which you can believe. 
when he gives you some inspiration inside your spirit, he gives you some knowledge of what he wants to do, and you know it's come from him, once you get his word within your life, you've got something you can express faith. I believe it because God said it. My son, when he was growing up, I would say to him certain things. He liked to go out and drive, go, go for a drive. I remember when he was just a little boy, I said I'd take him for a drive around the block in the car. You remember this day? And I'd got in the car and I drove away from our place at Endeavour Hills in, in Victoria. And um, Nathan was watching and got very, very upset because I didn't do what I said. And as I'm going away, he's crying and I'd come back and I said, come on, you don't remember this, Nathan. You're too young to remember this. Hey, you can't remember anything. And I, yeah. I put him in the car and we went for a drive together. So he was settled down. Why? You know, and now it's like my son believes my word. I trust he believes my word because I, give my, I keep my word, you know. If that's a human intent, you honestly keep your word. And if you say something, you do what you say. Then, and, and that's important for you. So if somebody says, well, I'll be there, I'll be there at 2.30. And all of a sudden you go there and they're there at 2.30. You know, you keep your word. You know, that's it. You have confidence in them. Jesus always keeps his word. And when he speaks to us and you, and you know that he speaks to you, then you know you can press some weight on it. You know you can believe him. You know you can have faith in what he says. That's why faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If your faith is not good, then you're not listening to God or you're not reading his word. You have nothing to premise anything on. So if you've stopped Bible reading or you've decided not to read the word of God as much and that's diminishing in your life, the condition of your water is becoming faithless because there is no word of God producing faith in you. It's when you read the word of God that faith rises within you to believe the word of God, to believe what he says. So if the condition of your water is that you're getting lazy because you like watching the TV more than you like what, reading the Word of God or you like, you know, like uh, you know, doing something else rather than praying, then the condition of your life spiritually will be waning, not increasing. It's just the way it comes. Faith comes by hearing. And it's not like God has favorites. We don't, when, when, when Noel stands up here and jumps around like he's full of something and taking drugs or something, it's not like God has a favorite with Noel because he's given him a spur on this today. You know, and like, I wish he would spur me on. I don't get anything like that. Now, listen, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it says, God has given to every man a measure of faith. So every person has a measure of faith, and that's given by God. There's not one person here who doesn't receive a measure of faith. There's not one person here who can't increase the measure of their faith by getting into the Word of God. There's not one person here that God isn't oversighting their lives like Jesus is looking and saying, I'm authoring that and I'm going to finish that if you just keep your nose in it. Keep reading it. Keep believing it. Keep going for it. The only reason you drift out and away from God is because you turn the tap off and you walk away. The Bible says no one will snatch you out of his hand. So I think God has put your hand like that. I think God has got an open hand like that because I don't think I ever feel him holding me in there like don't move because I'll choke you to death if you try and get away. He's not holding me. He, I, he's got his hand open. He says, stand, I'll stand, stand in my hand, Mark. So I stand in his hand. No one can take me out of that hand while I, while I decide to stay there. But I can walk out of that at any time. Because I'm warned not to drift away. I'm continually warned not to, to partake of the good thing and then return to the vomit. I'm continually warned to stay and focus and pay attention to where I am in him and what my standing is in him. Now, he's not making me stand there by force. He's holding me there by his grace. And while I stand in his grace, I'm safe and secure in his hand. But if I want to walk away from him and turn him off in my life and be like the Israelites who were delivered out of the land of Egypt and before they get to the promised land decide to not have faith that he can take us all the way, then I'll die in the wilderness. Like they died in the... Thank you for your hands. That was not... I like holding your hand. <laughs> Bible tells us in, in the Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, it says, but without faith... It is impossible to please God. If you come to God, you must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I like that word, that diligently seek him. Not haphazardly seek him or at any moment, but have a real focus to diligently seek him. You know, we can't please God with faithless attitudes. 
You can't move God with faithless attitudes. You can't believe that God is going to do something and then as soon as the hardship comes, give up and, and say, well, why didn't you do something, God, before the hard, hard times comes? The passage of Scripture that you read in Peter tells us that the godly are going to suffer persecution. We have that as a confidence. We're going to have to die for our faith one day if the Lord tarries. You know, If it gets worse and worse in this environment, it's going to get so bad that you will actually have to die one day for the thing that you believe in. And that's the great joy that they can't actually kill you. They can kill your body, but they can't kill your soul. And the thing that you have is, that is indestructible. And that's our great hope and our great faith that Jesus has done something in our lives that you can't take away when you take my body apart. I'm still there with Jesus and he still loves me and I'm still secure and, and the eternity that I'm looking for has come right now and here I am, I'm standing in it and you tried to stop it and one day you're going to stand in this eternity and you regret every moment of your life because you didn't turn to the one who loves you. That faith, it's impossible to please God. Can't be pleased by, they can't be pleased by ritual. They can't be pleased by your giving. You can't be pleased by anything that you think that you're going to be doing that will please him. He says, the thing that pleases him is your faith. Your faith is the thing that pleases God. It's that persistent faith. You know, this is a story that we're told in Luke chapter 18, verse 7 to 8, 8. This is the verse here. But it's about a woman who keeps on going to an unjust judge. And the unjust judge does not care about the woman, nor does he care about justice. He doesn't care about what is mattering to the woman. He's just bothered by her because she's coming. But she has this persistence. She refuses to stop coming to the, to the, the unjust judge. And it's because of her persistent, continuously coming to him that he says, I've had enough of her persistent coming. I will give her what she wants. I will give justice to her because she is so persistent. She, she will not leave me alone. I can only get rest by giving her what she wants. And that's the parable that he tells us this. And then he makes this statement. He says, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day, out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? He says, tell you that um, he will avenge them speedily. And nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he asks this question. Will he find faith on the earth? Well, why would he ask that question? Well, because life is like a fish pond. Life is like a swimming pool. Life is like anything that's got water in it. And the fish are inside of it, and they're swimming around, it's going to get dirty. And unless you make some move towards making it clean and keeping it clean, things are going to get worse and worse. Young people, I want to tell you something. The devil's got a plan just for your life to take you out. He has it strategized. You need to work, you need to have money, you get job. Well, you don't determine what days you're going to work and not, days you're not going to work. So they're going to, all the days that you have fellowship, they're going to be putting work on for you. So you don't get to come to fellowship because you're working. And you're going to think, well, it's important to do work because I need money to, to and just the cloudy water will start to appear around your life. You say, oh, well, I'll work, you know, but I'll get maybe one Sunday off. I'll, I'll do, still keep my Wednesday night or my Tuesday night or whatever it is, and then you'll get a night shift. Because the devil knows exactly how to do it. He knows how to... You know, we had, a, we had a house meeting on the north side years ago. We had 30 young people coming out of uh, a whole lot of drug addiction, a whole lot of different stuff from John and Terry White, their family. Remember that? You used to come. Carlos and I would drive over there. What night was that we used to go over there, Carlos? Tuesday night or something? Tuesday night seems to be the... We'd drive all the way over there. It took us about an hour to get there. We'd sit down in a room of... There was, a, there was a couple of homosexual couples. Uh, there was drug addicts. There was all kinds of people there. And they would talk to us about their lives. They would ask questions about God. We would sit and talk to them. We got people, there was people getting saved in those meetings, you know. And then, you know, we, we needed, they, they, they were all unemployed and they needed work. They got work in the end of the house meeting because they were working. And the devil's sitting there laughing and saying, ha, ha, ha. You see, it's greed. You see, you know. You know why? Because, you know, to not work means you have to believe that Jesus is going to look after you if you say to the boss, you know, I can't work on Sundays and I can't work on Tuesday nights because I have 
church commitment. He can't discriminate against you. He can say, I'm not going to employ you, but do you believe that God will stand good with you when you do that? Do you have faith that God will stand behind you and look after your needs if you put God first? What the word says is, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. Do you believe that? You know, if you don't believe that, you better look after it yourself. You better say, I'll work whatever you want me to work. I'll do that. That's fine. But he knows, the devil knows, and he will try and take you out with it. Now, I know there's some people who work in terms of shift work, and I know there's people who who are, are doing... Um, you know, like nursing and stuff like that, which is pretty, pretty difficult. You really don't have it. But listen, you have to maintain fellowship. You have to maintain the things that are important. You have to maintain your walk with God. And if you can't get here, you have to get there. If you can't do this, you have to make sure that you keep it up. Keep your faith strong. And make the devil really hurt. Will he find faith on the earth? The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, and I love this verse because it, it really places things in perspective with regard to your personal faith. It says, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. That's an interesting idea, isn't it? It's an interesting idea that says that God is listening to those who go into the secret place into their room. I'm going to tell you a story. Some of you already know this, but you know, I don't know whether I've said it in front of my mum and dad. We had a little Mazda 808 when we were, when we were first starting uh, in our, our lives together. We were in the Blue Mountains and we were pioneering a church in the Blue Mountains. So on the Sunday mornings, we would put the speakers in the, in the, in the car. Nathan was sitting in between the speakers and uh, then all the rest of the coffee cups and everything would go in the boot. And Jenny would jump in the car and I would push the car back down the driveway and she would clutch start it because the, the, the thing had gone broken, you know. The, the car was breaking down. So every Sunday we would clutch start the car to church and cut start the car home again. And I got on my knees with my mate Don, Don Burgess. We would pray every, you know, every couple of days. We'd sit down and pray together. And I said to God, because it was the secret place, and I said nothing to anybody else. I said, God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but we're trying to do your work and our car is stuffed. Could you give me a new car? That was the only person I told about it. So my dad rang up one day, and I don't know whether you remember this phone call, Dad, but you said your mother and I have started talking about how we'd like to support you and Jenny in the, in, the, in the work that you're doing for God. We'd like to give you the tithe, which was 10% of his income. He was a builder. That would have been a good thing, wouldn't it? 10% of his income? Man, was it, is it 10% of the profit or is it 10% of the wage you're going to take? What's the 10%? I didn't ask that question. I said, live with me. I'll pray about it. And God said to me, no. So I said to Dad, look, I really care and appreciate the fact that you wanted to give something to us. And I don't ever want to stop people from having the blessing of giving. But God told me I can't take that from you because I would be reliant on you for that to come through rather than on God. And that was so clear to me. Now, that was a hard move, you know, because it's easy to get, you know, people, give me, give me, give me. And, oh, it's coming. Thank you, Jesus. I'll take money. And I'll just, you know, yeah, just tell people more about your situation. And they'll give you more. I could have stood up in front of a, a church of 90 people. And I could have said, because I was a young man, you know, we're having real car problems. Every week there was $300 in the offering. Every week we put that $300 into missions. We never took a bit of it. Because we believed that God was going to make the man, that he was going to make a difference in our lives, that we would trust him and not trust the funds. We weren't going to make a situation where we could put it in our pockets and we'd be okay for an hour. It's a great business to be in this church work. We decided not to touch the money, but to let it go to missions and just trust Jesus. Well, that's a bit of a hard reality, isn't it? Because it's really easy to ask for money and have people give you money. So mum and dad asked us to come up on a Christmas. We couldn't afford to drive up. We were poor. They flew us up. It was lovely. We flew up with Nathan and we got out and mum and dad were there. We sat in the back of the car and as they're driving home, they said, dad says, we've decided. Now remember, we didn't even tell dad the car was broken down. Nothing. 
They knew nothing. Your mum and I have talked about what we'd like to do. We've decided that we would like to buy you a car. I'm just sitting there going, you know, if I had said a word to anybody at any other time, if I had talked about the broken car, if I'd spoken about it, I would never have known whether it was my ability to persuade you through emotion and through manipulation for you to give or whether it was God answering a prayer in the private place. Young men, young women, stand up, go to the private place, ask God and shut your mouth, say nothing else. When it comes through, you will know that God's answered your prayer. That will be the beginning of the rest of your life. That will be the foundation on which you stand. It will be the foundation of your faith that God answers his word. It won't be your ability to advertise. It won't be your ability. It'll be God speaking to you and you'll stand on his word, ask him alone, and that's the end of it. If he doesn't want you to have it, you will not give it, be given to you. And you'll find another way and God will look after it. See, some of us are too frightened to have that foundation of faith in Jesus and God alone because we think we won't get what we want. I want to do that. That's why I'm going to ask people. I'm going, I want to do that. Well, listen, it's not important. If God doesn't want you to be there, it may be the wrong place for you to be there. You may get the funds to do that, but you won't be in the wrong place when you get there. God may have another plan for you over here. So that when you're not there, this plan is going to work for you. Are you going to trust him? Are you going to have that as the foundation of your life? That you ask God and you let God decide. The quiet room. The quiet place. Where you shut the door. And you get down on your knees. And then you say, I'm only going to ask you so that I know when the answer comes through. You answered it and no one else. And what makes the difference? I'll tell you what makes the difference. Because when you come, the car comes, you know that that car is God's provision for you. I could tell you story after story after story how God came through for us and how God would ask us to do crazy things. Last $10, you know, kids got no milk, you know, nothing to eat. You know, last $10 in your wallet. Jesus says, put it in the offering. You know, when I put it in the offering, you know, it's gone because the other lady will take it away because I don't touch the money in the, in the church. The other lady will take it away and it will go to the missions box and that will be it. I won't get to last $10. Okay, come Jenny at the end. Of, can we go down and get some milk for Nathan? Well, there's no money left in the... I just put it in the offering and she looks at me like, do you know what? But she knows. She knows the God I know. And she trusts the God I trust. In fact, when she said, I asked her to marry me, I said, before I asked her to marry I said, what do you want to do with your life? And she says, I just want to serve Jesus. So she was serving the same God who never leaves us alone. And so when we got home with our car and we parked the car and go to the door, there stuck in the door is an envelope with $300 in it. And I'm thinking, God is good like that, but you never ever see the miracle of God unless you take yourself to the line. Unless you take yourself to a line which says, unless I got God now, I fail. You'll never see the blessing of God unless you let all the, the vessels in the house run out of food. If you can keep them filled, God doesn't have to do anything. If you can keep them filled by your own self-effort, God doesn't have to do anything. But if you say, God, it's you or you alone, I'm not going to try and do this myself. I never used to advertise when I was building. Never advertise. I said, God, if you want me to work, you bring the work in. I just trust you. I just trust you. I'm not going to advertise. I'm just trusting. Well, there's nothing wrong with advertising. Well, that's okay. That's your faith. That's not my faith. I'm dealing my faith now. This is my life, my God. This is the way we walk. You can advertise and you can work. But God said, the work runs out. I've got a different plan for you. And when the work ran out, he says, now I have a different plan for you. You're not going to work that way anymore. I stopped it so you could do this. And he opened a different door for me. Oh, yes. Foundational faith. 
comes from the belief that you ask God alone. That's it. Finishes it there. You can talk to me about all the other scriptures. But if your faith is in God, I can tell you about Hudson Taylor. And how he would never ask. He was a great missionary to China. Built the Inland Church of China. Amazing man. If you get his book, you can read his book. Fantastic work he did amongst the Chinese. But, you know, he believed that he, when he was in China, he couldn't ask the mission organization for funds because he wasn't going to be around. And so he just said, I'll pray and ask God to move man by prayer alone. He didn't pray, didn't ask anybody for money. Just got on his face and said, God, you know my needs. And God would meet his needs. Mueller, the same. A thousand kids in his, a thousand kids in his, uh, in his um, orphanage. Thousand kids looking for food every day. Thousand kids sitting down at a table now empty because the food has run out. A thousand kids sitting around a table with their knives and forks all in place ready for breakfast and no food in the place. And Mueller gets down and says, God, you know our needs. And he just prayed to God alone. There's a knock on the door. Somebody's had a banquet, a wedding banquet, and they've got it on the wrong week. They, they prepared all the food. They've got nowhere to go. You can read about it in this book. They open the doors. The wedding banquet comes and he feeds his kids. Why? How does this happen? How does this miracle happen? I'll tell you where the miracle happens because he's got a thousand kids there with an empty, you know, an empty pantry. He's in a situation where God has got to open the door now or his kids go hungry. Are you going to get yourself in a situation where you risk it all? Risk it all unless Jesus comes through to you? Are you going to get yourself in a situation where you believe, that you really truly believe that God is there? That you're interacting with God, that God has spoken to you, that his word is true, and you can rest on his word and you can keep on going on his word, trusting him alone. That's foundational faith. It's foundational. You, I mean, you can't, don't talk to me at a Christian walk. It's got to start here. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you will find. The knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open to you. You know, some of us you read that and say, oh, yeah. But then when it doesn't come, we, we, we hit mum for it, or we hit dad for it, or we, we, we try and manipulate our friends for it, or we try and push it some other way, because we want to get what we want. It's not enough to ask God for it. It's not enough to keep on seeking. It's not enough to keep on knocking. It's not enough to keep on pressing into God. We've got to find another way. Another way to get what we want for our lives because we are the ones that are in control. We are the ones that want to determine what's good and right for us. We don't let God do the determining and we don't let God do the supplying. And so we, our lives, in the fish tank of our lives, we come reliant on ourselves and our ability to move people by our emotions. And the church becomes manipulated by all those who come through and cry in front of us. And we go, oh, oh yes, you cried real good. Here's some money. And you hate it. You go to churches and you say, they just take up offering after offering after offering. You hate it. You hate the, the money situations in churches. Not one of our pastors here in the church takes anything from the church. I get my phone bill paid. That's it. It's going to get me a long way, isn't it? You know what? I wouldn't have it any other way. You can't take that from me. Because Jesus says, I can live on less than 10% and you can give it all to him. He is no man's debtor. Do you believe that? That's the way I've lived all my Christian life. That's the foundation of my life. You can't get me with the, the money thing. Because I don't want the money. It's not about the money. Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. It becomes so easy to lean on our own understanding, to rationalize the way we're going to do life and the way we're going to do our, our, our life in God. There's a big difference about trusting God and acknowledging him in every situation and saying, God, you know what's best for me. I'm going to put this down before you now. I'm going to lay it out before you. You lead me and guide me. I'm not going to say anything. I mean, would you do that? Would you do that? Would you do that? Would you just say to God and just leave it like that? Some ladies here have gone to other churches 
looking for men. There's not enough men in the church here. Got to find some more studs somewhere else. Basic, under, on the basis of that, just think, you know, does God know how to bring the right man to you? Does he? Well, he does. What if no, the man isn't here yet? Well, maybe it's not time yet. Can you be satisfied with it not being time yet? Can you find your fullness in Jesus and not have to have a man beside you? Or will you go and try and, on your own understanding, fix that up some other way? Let's go to a church where there's lots of young people and lots of young, nice-looking girls so that we can find one. Is that what God is asking you to do? Or is God asking you to trust me and I will make a way for you? Trust me and I will bring it to pass. Put your faith in me and walk with me and let me make those calls for you. I'll never let you down and you will always have the right one. Are you willing to let Jesus be the one who controls your life? Are you willing to acknowledge him in all your paths? First John says this in First John 5, 14, it says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Now, it would be the confidence that we have in him if that's how you lived. I mean, an association with God answering your prayers comes the confidence that when he answers the prayer that he is showing you that he's right behind your decision. He's right behind what you're doing. When you've asked for God to do something and the course opens up for you, it's what he, you know that the course is God opens the door and no man can shut it. And there's a confidence that comes to you. There's a sense of I've got confidence if I'm praying and it's what God wants, he will open the door for me. There's a confidence. You try and do it yourself. You lose that confidence. You start saying, I wonder if this was God's will for my life. When hard times come, you say, oh, gee, it's really hard. Should I pull out of this course now? I don't know whether I should keep on doing this course. It's really difficult, you know. If I had some confidence about God opening the door, I don't know whether, is this this the devil trying to sidetrack me or is it God trying to lead me? I'm, I'm confused about this. And you know why? Because you didn't let God help the choice. When he is the one who brings you to the place and you know it's him that's opened the door, then there's a confidence associated with it and you can walk boldly through any hardship because you know that Jesus took you there and he will take you through it. That's what you lose when you take matters into your own hands. That's what you lose when you decide that you're going to try and do it any which way, but you'll have what you want. It doesn't matter what God's saying. You might, your conscience might sit there and say, you know, you shouldn't do that. Your conscience might do that, but you say, I don't care. I want what I want. And the bottom line is that you're going to lose your confidence because when the hard times come, it may not be what God wants for you and that's why you're hitting the hard times. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelieving or unbelief in departing from the living God. This is the condition of the water. Unbelief doesn't just happen overnight. It happens over years. The disciples, I mean the the, uh, Jews came out of Jerusalem, uh, out of uh, Egypt, and they started to walk through the wilderness and God showed with mighty miracles his sustaining power and his ability to sustain them and keep them and deliver them. But their unbelief was fully blown by the time they reached the promised land. The first crew that came through were not ready for the promised land. When it came a chance for them to move in, it would have been okay if they had sit and listened and watched and, 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 and dealt with the promises that God had told them. If they were like Caleb and like they were Joshua, that they had seen every time God's miracles had been, and they had dwelt upon them and said, God has showing us the way, this is the way. It would have been okay. But in the midst of all of the goodness of God and all the testimony of God's goodness and His direction in life, they developed unbelief, not faith. You can sit in church 
And you can hear all the miracles and everybody can say, is God great and they're punching the air. But if you are not engaged with God and you're not working it out in your life and faith is not being worked out in your life and you're not doing, you're just hearing and you're not doing, you're deceiving yourself, you can be developing a huge, massive load of unbelief. And in the final crunch, you'll give up and you'll not go through. Jesus says to them, he says, because of your unbelief. He says, they said, why can't we cast this demon out? He says, because of your unbelief. I say, if you had faith of a mustard seed, that's very small. He says, you would be able to say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it would move, and nothing would be impossible for you. Which says the condition of your water is pretty, because some of you just dismiss that verse outright. You could dismiss it outright and say, you know, yeah, I've been there before, you know. Faith is a mustard seed. It's very small. I speak to the mountain. Yeah, but do you speak to the mountain and not tell anybody else about it? And do you believe that God's going to remove the mountain? There's lots of mountains in our life and God will remove them. His word is true and he's faithful to his word. He's faithful to you. If you just put him first in your life and you make him the, the love of your life, the center of your life, the core of your life on whom you trust, on whom you're If you say, Lord Jesus, you are, my, you are my portion. Only you. Lord Jesus, you are the only, the center. You are the one for me. Lord Jesus, I don't want to rely upon anybody else. I want to I want to fill my life and rely upon you, Jesus. I want you to be the center of all my life. If you're a young person and you're saying that, if you're a young person and you're praying that, Jesus will take you to a line to test that you really believe that. He will take you like he took Peter and he'll say, step out the boat. And he won't be calling anybody else to step out the boat. He'll be calling you because you said, if, you, if, if it's you, Jesus, you bid me come. And he'll say to you, come. And then you'll get your foot over the boat and you will do what everybody else says is the craziest thing to do. You will not believe what others are telling you about natural law that you're going to think. You will put your foot out there and you will step on the everlasting arms of Jesus because you believe that Jesus has called you to come. Young man, young woman. This is not about getting into church. This is about getting into God. It's about finding your call in God and finding your ministry in God and setting the foundation for your life. That way, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to turn the world upside down because Jesus is going to lead me. I'm not asking you to stay in church. I'm asking you to stay in God and to follow God with your heart, with all passion and just pour it all out and say, God, you do whatever you can do with me, do it. And I'm going to follow you and I'm not going to go backwards. I'm not going to go under. I'm going to go over with you. And then make the hard calls. Make the hard calls and do them just before Jesus. Just get down on your face before Jesus. Don't tell anybody about it. And say, Jesus, you open the doors. It's just too easy talking to other people. It's another thing. Just talking to God and asking. Abraham heard God speak. He did not waver at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. He was 100 years old. His body was dead. I don't even know whether he was able to do it anymore. You know, the thing that you do to have babies. His wife's body was dead. She had gone through menopause. So she wasn't even menstruating. She wasn't ovulating. She was 90-something, wasn't she? And did he get up and said, we've been around a long time, God, and I think you've got it wrong there. You know? Because when he was a young man, God spoke to him. When he was a young man, he heard God. And he knew God. And he knew God's character. And it didn't matter what he looked at. And he said, the Bible says he looked at his own body though it was dead and the deadness of Sarah. So he didn't hide and say, oh, he, I'm not dead and she's not dead. No, he said, yeah, no, we're both dead. And he didn't waver at the promise. He said, 
God is able to call those things which are not as if they, are, they were. He is able to speak life into death because he is God. And God said, yeah, have it. And Isaac was born. And they oh, that's a fancy story, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I wonder if it's even true. Go to the Middle East now. You'll find out whether it's true or not. Have a talk to the Jews, the ones that are fighting for their land now. The Middle East crisis, blame Abraham and God for that one because that's where it started. Don't, don't put your head in the sand and say, this is not relevant. You know, this is very relevant to where we're living now. You turn on the newspaper and it's all about what's happening in the Middle East. It's all about, where did that come from? Right there, right there, a man's faith in God, that God would do something that he said he would promise. Right there it started. You put your head in some postmodernist thing and deny it all, then yes, the water in the tank is filthy. Yes, you're going to die in the tank. Let the work of God come through and change your life so that you start to believe God. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 22, I sought for a man or a woman among them who would make up a wall and stand in the gap before me and on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. And here's the cry of God, but I found none. God is not looking for a church to turn the world upside down. He's looking for a woman or a man who's willing to stand in the gap to make an end to what's coming. And I can't make you do that. I had to answer my own question when God called me. And I had to stand before God and say, I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to. And then God says, well, I'm going to take you through this place and you're going to suffer. Are you willing to suffer for me? He said that to me. Clear in my mind. He said, are you willing to suffer for me? I can tell you the date. It was 1977. It was the 7th of March. I was in my room and God spoke to me, clear as bell. Not, not a word, but he said, are you willing to suffer for me, Mark? I've called you. And when I came to grips with the idea that it's going to cost me something, it's going to cost me something in my life, I've got to go suffering about it. When I embrace suffering, it's okay because nothing's more problem than he. What, this is just part of the suffering that he's called me to. I'm not going to have the money. Oh, this part of the suffering he's called me to. I used to be careful how I knelt down in prayer meetings because the holes in my shoes were so big, my socks were hanging through the bottom. Or is this just the suffering he's called me to? Why? And I could have made it easy, so easy. Just take the money. Just take the money. But you know what? God has a different plan. He's made sure that I don't need the money these days. He blessed my kids like you wouldn't believe. And I think... This is my faith, that he blessed them on account of our faith. That's my belief. And I don't have to work anymore for the man. I'm working for God. You're retired already, Mark? (laughs) I've just started. But I don't go to the bank to get my money. I go to Jesus. And he looks after me. You know, what, what's it going to be? You know, this is about faith, you know. Do you want, do you so passionately want to make a difference for God? Well, trust him. Have faith in God. And if you can't get your head around having faith in God, get to a situation where you do have faith in God. Be like Peter and climb out of the boat. Jesus will look after you even when you start to doubt and you get caught with all the problems around you. The fact that you got out the boat is wonderful. He says, oh, he says to him, he says, he immediately stretched out his hand and caught him and he says, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Well, he was really pleased about that little exercise. You know, all the rest of the safe boys in the boat and he's the noddy climbing out. Jesus would have his oar climb out the boat. He says, I'm looking for someone. Who's he looking for here today? Can you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart? He's not going to talk to all of us. Some of you are not even listening to me. But can you feel the pang of the Holy Spirit saying, it's not too late to be the man that I want you to be? 
Smith Wigglesworth was called by God when he was over 40 years old. He was in the bottom of a trench digging ditches. He was a, a plumber, drainer. God called him when he was 40 years old to get into the ministry. That man turned the place upside down. He came and stayed with their grandparents, you know. Amazing miracles from his hands. But himself died with uh, kidney stones and troubled with kidney stones in his life. He was sick. Pain, he'd pain. Why? Well, God was not healing him, but he would heal everybody else. Paul had the same sort of problem. I wish I could fix this problem with my eyes up, you know. It's like a demonic thing. I asked God three times and he says, I'm not going to remove it from you. See, but you know, Paul would raise them from the dead. It's because God says, I'm not going to do it because I want you to remain in a condition of heart where you are. I'm going to keep you where you are. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made powerful in your weakness. I'm going to keep you weak because I still want to be strong. You know, it's not pleasant to be the man or the woman that God takes. It's not pleasant to be the one that God puts his hand on it, but it is very rewarding. You will get, you will get everything thrown at you, plus. But Jesus is there in the midst of the storm, and he will speak peace into your heart. Isaiah's call was simple. When the king Uzziah died, he was there in the temple and praying and he saw the Lord lifted up and his train filled the temple and he felt so unclean and so filthy and an angel came and touched his lips with a coal of fire and purified his mouth and then he heard God say these words, who will I send or who shall we send or who will go for us? And Isaiah's immediate response was, Lord, send me. Lord, send me. And immediately God says, yes, and you will speak my words, and these are the words. And he started to give him the words. You know, God is looking for someone. Just looking. Searching. It's powerful to think that the God who created the heavens and the earth, who spoke them into place, is still looking for an Abraham. Still looking for a Peter. Still looking for an individual. Are you that individual he's looking for? Do you feel that in the, in the, in the conscience? Do you feel that in your spirit today? Do you feel that the drawing of God like a hook inside of you, calling you to himself to be different? Is that what you're feeling today? Are you going to dare to be different? Are you going to dare to take Jesus at his word? Are you going to dare to believe and trust him alone? I can't do it for you. We can have church and we can jump up and down and sing lots of songs. We can have a mosh pit and you can all have your friends come and we can have a coffee shop down the bottom and we can give free croissants out there on special Sundays. But that won't help you die for your faith. That won't help you suffer for Jesus. That won't take you from the shores of Australia and put you in Iran where you can be a minister to those who are going to chop your head off. That won't give you the conviction that you can stand up in front of your school kids who think that sexual immorality is okay and say, no, it's not okay. It won't give you the strength and boldness to say that God's word, his morality is the right way when everybody else says you can do whatever you want. There's only one thing that will give you that sort of faith, that sort of confidence, that sort of trust, and that's to have a relationship with Jesus that's born on the secret place where God speaks into your heart and takes you and changes you forever. Let's bow our heads. Faith. You believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Have you heard the word of God calling you today have you heard God speak into your spirit and say to you come to me get out of your boat and come to me have you heard God arrest you now for the rest of your life to do his bidding has God been speaking to your heart today as he wanted to lay a foundation of faith in your life. If 
God has been speaking to you, I want you to stand on your feet and I want to pray for you. If God has been speaking to you today, I want you to stand on your feet and I want to, I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for those who are standing right now. I ask, oh God, that you would continue to take them to that place, that secret place, that beautiful place of communion where they know your ways, they know your voice, they know your calling, they know your direction, and they have confidence in you, Lord Jesus. So speak into their hearts. So lead and guide them, Father, so that there would stand up today those in this space who are going to turn their worlds upside down for you and with you. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.